Tonight we are looking at the life of Joshua. I invite you to turn to the passage that was read a moment ago by Zach. We are grateful for the opportunity to be together tonight. Thank you for being here. We appreciate so much your presence tonight. We trust that God will bless you in your service in His kingdom. I want to just very quickly say that Lynn informed me that the lessons from this past week, VBS, that they are now on the website. And so if you would like to go to the website, you can listen to three lessons by Scott Kane. And then yesterday, Jeff Miller presented a series of lessons. And so I think you'll find those lessons helpful if you're interested in dinosaurs and the age of the earth, etc then there is just a tremendous amount of material. I would encourage you to go back to listen to these lessons. I think that you will be built up in the faith in a great, great way. Tonight we continue our series of great characters of Scripture. Our study tonight is going to center on the life of Joshua. And Joshua was a great general leader of God's people, and so we're going to be focusing on his life in just a moment or two. I want to begin our study tonight by calling attention first to the call of Joshua. Now, you remember back in the book of Exodus, Moses records for us the fact that Joshua served as his assistant. I really believe that Moses had the opportunity to mentor and train Joshua. And so that when the time came for him to step up to the plate and begin leading the children of Israel into the promised land, he was more than ready. He was more than ready to assume the task that was before him. And as we look at Joshua chapter 1, the text, note if you would, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And this is a transitional book. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 34, we have a record of the death of Moses. Moses, as you remember, had disobeyed God at Kadesh and because of that prohibited from entering the promised land. He wanted to go into the promised land, wanted God to allow him to go into that land identified as a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet in chapter 34, God allowed him to see the land, to view the land, to survey it, but he wasn't able to go into the promised land. And so in chapter 34, we have a record of the death of Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. And he had served God and the children of Israel for a period of 40 years. And now in Joshua chapter 1, the Bible says, After the death of Moses the servant of the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now note, if you would, not just the call, but the command to Joshua. God said, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea going down 
toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 34, God, as I mentioned a moment ago, God had allowed Moses to view the promised land. And now the children of Israel are on the banks of the Jordan, the book of, in the book of Deuteronomy. You have a series of three addresses by Moses on the plains of Moab. Back in chapter 29 of Deuteronomy, Moses reiterated all of the great blessings that had come upon the children of Israel, pointed out to them that if they disobeyed him, that their fate would be similar to that of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In chapter 30, again, the Bible tells us that prophetically, Moses looks out into the future, recognizing that the children of Israel will at some point in time become unfaithful to God. The key to once again enjoying the blessings of Almighty God would be through repentance. And God would say down in about verse 6 that He would circumcise their hearts and the hearts of their children, that they were to love the Lord God with all of their heart and soul. And so, that idea of circumcising their heart to the Lord. And the idea is that they would give God their heart, their full allegiance, that they would love Him as He wanted them to. And really, if you go back and you look at all the great blessings that God had bestowed upon the children of Israel from the leading out of Egyptian bondage, they had every reason to trust in God, didn't they? God had proven Himself to be trustworthy and reliable time and again. And so now the command given to General Joshua to assume the mantle of leadership and to begin leading the children of Israel into this promised land. Now you recall back in Numbers chapters 13 and 14 that God had sent out 12 spies under the leadership of Moses to survey the land. When those spies returned, only two gave a favorable report, that being Joshua and Caleb. As a result of that, God disinherited that generation of people from 20 years of age and upward. So now we have another generation on the scene. And God renews that covenant with the children of Israel. They had received that covenant at Sinai back in Exodus chapter 19, you remember. And that covenant and all of the blessings associated with it were conditioned upon their obedience to God. If they obeyed God, He said, You'll be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people responded to Moses in the long ago by saying, All that the Lord has said, that will we do. And so now Joshua, he's been called by God, summoned, and he was more than ready. And I would just say this in light of what the record says by way of application. We ought to be preparing ourselves to serve the Lord in a greater way in the future. You know, transitions always happen, don't they? Look at the history of this congregation. I don't know how many men have served as elders. I don't know how many men have served as deacons in days gone by. 
I don't even know how many men have served as preachers in this congregation. But I know this. There have been a lot of folks that have come through the doors here. A lot of changes, a lot of transition. And what that tells me is there's coming a day when there will be further transition. Some of you, some of you here tonight, you will have the opportunity to take a greater role in the work of this church. It will be necessary for those of us who belong to the body of Christ to rise up and to assume positions of leadership. Now, leadership isn't always serving as an elder, a deacon, or as a preacher, although those are roles where individuals have the opportunity to serve. But as Christians, as God's people, we all are leaders to some extent, aren't we? If you have a family, you are a leader. Do you remember what Paul said, Ephesians 6, verse 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a leader, isn't it? Over in chapter 24, Joshua is going to say, On behalf of his family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So you think about preparing yourself to serve in a greater way in this church. Brother D.O., Brother Billy won't be here forever. I won't be here forever. Jared won't be here forever. Why? Because that's just how life operates, isn't it? People tend to come and go. There are always transitions. And so we're not going to be ready to assume leadership positions if we don't prepare ourselves. So here was a man that was adequately prepared. He was willing to rise up and answer the call. And God set before him a tremendous task of leading the children of Israel over the Jordan into that land that flowed with milk and honey, the promised land. You remember God made a promise to Abraham in the long ago? Back in Genesis chapter 15, it was God who had said to Abraham, who is identified by James as the friend of God, God had told him that through his seed, all families, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And so God is going to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. And they were not to intermingle with the pagan people in Canaan because they were God's holy people. And they would be the vehicle through whom the Christ would ultimately come. So there is the call of Joshua, the command of Joshua, and then by way of order, I want to reverse course for a minute and talk about the courage of Joshua. Drop down, look at verse 6. In verse 6, God said, Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There are some things that just leap off the page in this chapter. And first and foremost, the fact that God said to Joshua in the long ago, you need to be strong and you're going to have to be very courageous in taking the land. Do we not have to be strong as children of God? Is it not the case that we have to be people of courage as we fight the good fight of faith? As we live in a world that is troubled by sin and unrighteousness? Wasn't it Paul who said, Be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. It takes a lot of courage. It takes spiritual strength and stamina to live the Christian life. John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world in which we live is engulfed in spiritual darkness. And yet Jesus said we are to shine as lights in a darkened world. Did the people in the days of Joshua, have they heard something about God and what He had done for the children of Israel? Yes, they had. When you read chapter 2 about a harlot by the name of Rahab, she spoke of the fact that they had heard about all that God had done on their behalf. And so God is saying to Joshua in the long ago, you're going to have to be strong, you're going to have to be courageous. Leaders of God's people have to be strong. They have to be courageous. They have to be visionary, as Joshua was, to see the land and to recognize, okay, this is how we're going to get there. This is what it's going to entail. So I ask you tonight, are you strong in the Lord? Are you courageous in your fight for what is right? Those of us who belong to the body of Christ would do, go, would do well to go back and read the book of Acts. The church was born in a cradle of opposition and persecution, wasn't it? And do you remember when Peter and John were commanded by the Sanhedrin Council not to preach nor teach in the name of Jesus? Their response was, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The day may come in this country when we are prohibited by law from preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. The day may come in this country when we have to go underground to worship Almighty God, will you remain strong and courageous and steadfast under those type of circumstances? Another key, look again at the text. And note in verse 7, 
God said to Joshua, I want you to be strong and very courageous. And then he said that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. And why? That you may prosper wherever you go. Look at verse 8 again. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. You may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And he said, then and only then will you make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. If you want to be successful and prosperous as a leader of God's people, the key is adhering to this book right here called the Bible. That's it. The key to being what you need to be in the eyes of God is right here. It's God's holy word. We are to live by it. We are to study it, to meditate on it. We are to reflect upon it regularly. As Peter said in the long ago, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't you think that it's noteworthy that God emphasizes the importance of adhering to His commands and the promise would be success and prosperity. If you go back and you look at the history of the Israelite nation, their history was one that was checkered by infidelity from time to time, wasn't it? As a matter of fact, in chapter 30, Moses stood before the children of Israel and he said, Look, I have put before you life and death, good and evil. On behalf of God, he said, I want you to choose life that you and your descendants might live. Choices would have to be made. Those choices would ultimately have an impact upon whether or not they would be blessed or cursed. God blesses people that honor His Word, doesn't He? Aren't there, are there not intrinsic blessings associated with following the will of Almighty God? You know, you look around at our nation tonight. I asked the question the other day in a Bible class. When you look at America, when you survey the landscape of this nation, are we better off today than we were 50 years ago? Are things better than they were 50 years ago? You know, in one way, the answer would be yes. In terms of technology, communication, transportation. I mean, we have a whole new world that's opened up to us. Medically speaking, scientifically, a lot of blessings, a lot of advancements. But then, on the other hand, when you survey this country, not so good. Morally speaking, we're not where we ought to be. And the key to getting this nation on track is to encourage people to follow this book. We're, listen, in this country, in the nation that we call home, if we would honor the Word of God, individually and collectively, 
we would be surprised at the changes that would take place in this country. It would be revolutionary. And then note, if you would, the conquest. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare for yourselves, or rather, prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Look at verse 13. Remember the... Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as He has given you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward sunrise. Go back and look again at verse 11. One key word here. Prepare. They were to prepare to enter the land of promise, weren't they? In many ways, that land of Canaan was a type of rest. We sing the song, I'm on my way to Canaan's land. We're singing about heaven, aren't we? Our goal is ultimately to be with God in heaven one day. But in order to reach that objective, we've got to make preparation, don't we? I mean, don't we have to prepare ourselves so that we might one day enjoy the blessings that God has set aside for us in that heavenly city? You know, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions, many abiding places. The way to that eternal abiding place is to make preparation, adequate preparation, to understand that we are, as Peter said in the long ago, we are strangers, sojourners, pilgrims on earth. We're just passing through, aren't we? This isn't our permanent home, and we call it home, and we're blessed to live in a wonderful land, enjoy a lot of blessings, but... The ultimate goal of a child of God is to be in heaven one day. And you remember Peter said that we have an inheritance. And back in Numbers chapter 14, God had said to the children of Israel that listened to the spies that said, we're not able to go in and take the land. God said concerning those disobedient people, those folks that lack faith, He said, I will disinherit them. But Peter said, we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled. He said, it fades not away, and it is reserved in heaven for you. Now, when we talk about the promised land and the conquest of that land, here's a question. Did the children of Israel 
Did they take possession of the land and did God in heaven fulfill His promise? You know, there are people today that have the idea that Palestine still belongs to the Jewish people. That that is their holy ground. Well, the fact of the matter is that land was predicated on their willingness to obey God. So look, if you would, with me at Joshua chapter, turn over, if you would, over to chapter 21. And look at verse 43. In verse 43, here's what the text says. The Lord gave to Israel all the land, A-L-L, all of the land, which He had sworn to give to their fathers. They took possession of it and dwelt in it. Did the children of Israel, did they get into the promised land as God had said in the long ago? The answer is yes. Did they take possession of the land? Again, the answer would be yes. The Bible says the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that He had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Now look at verse 45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All, A-L-L, came to pass. And then turn over, if you would, to chapter 23. In chapter 23, at verse 14, listen again to what Joshua says. Joshua now anticipates his death. Joshua, Joshua said, Behold this day, I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. You know what that says to me? That when God makes a promise, He fulfills that promise. I think it was last week we talked about the great promises of God. When God makes promises, we as His people, we have the right to lay claim to those promises. And every promise that we enjoy in Christ predicated on our willingness to obey the will of Almighty God. If we do what God said, He'll bless us. He's promised to bless us. He's promised to give us all the blessings that you read about in the New Testament. Now look again. He said, Not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you, and not one word of them has failed. So, the children of Israel, they were the recipients of God's promises. A promise that was made hundreds of years earlier to the friend of God, a man by the name of Abraham. Now, there's a final thing very quickly I want to talk about, and that's the consecration of Joshua. When I look at the life of Joshua, one thing stands out to me. Here was a guy that was fully committed to God. He was, as we would say, all in when it came to serving the Lord. God said, here's your task. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God said, I'll be right beside you every step of the way. That same promise is given to us. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So as we soldier our way through this world, 
a world that is filled with darkness and sin, God said, I'll be with you. I'll stand by you. I mentioned a moment ago that in chapter 24, verse 15, Joshua speaks on behalf of his family members. You remember what he said? As for me and my house, we will do what? We will serve the Lord. Now I want you to look. We talk about the consecration of Joshua. And you think about this for a minute. If you get to heaven one day, in all probability, you're going to take somebody with you, aren't you? No one is an island unto himself. We need one another. So you think about your influence, whether you're a parent, whether you're a mom, a dad, a sibling, husband, wife, whatever. You have the opportunity to bring someone else up to the level where you are. So what about Joshua? What about the impact that he had upon the children of Israel? Look, if you would, in verse 29. came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years of age. Now Moses died at the age of 120. But look at verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now that says something to me about this man Joshua. It tells me that he was highly influential in his life. And that through his influence and as a result of his godly life, he brought other people up to his level. So when the story of your life, when the story of your life is read at your funeral, Will it be said of you that you are faithful to God and that through your influence others were faithful, whether it be friends or family members? Now you remember over in the book of Judges, the book of Judges is cyclical in nature. The children of Israel would be faithful to God for a period of time and then they would lapse into unfaithfulness God would raise up an adversary. They would cry out. God would then send one to deliver them. And that cycle is repeated over and over and over again. But in Judges chapter 2, the Bible says that the people, that is, the children of Israel, they were faithful, as we just read a minute ago, all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. But then the text says, down in about verse 10, that there arose another generation. What do you have there? Three generations of people? Another generation arose which knew not the Lord, nor yet the great things which the Lord had done for Israel. Now, how did that happen? Didn't God instruct Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that they were to take His Word and put it in their heart? and that they were to teach their offspring, their children, diligently the law of Almighty God. So tell me, what happened? Somebody failed, didn't they? Somebody quit teaching, and as a result of that, what did you have? You had apostasy, didn't you? So, negatively speaking, 
The children of Israel lapsed, in, lapsed into unfaithfulness. Now, the flip side of that, over in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, again, you read about three generations of people. First, Paul calls to mind a lady by the name of Lois, the grandmother of Timothy. And then he speaks of Eunice, the mother of Timothy. And then he speaks of Timothy himself. But here's what's inter interesting. Each one of those people spoken of by Paul demonstrated a genuine faith. What a contrast. So you got Timothy's grandmother, faithful to God. Timothy's mother, again, followed the law. And then Timothy, the Bible says, and that from infancy, or and that from a baby, a child. He said, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Joshua is a tremendous example. I like to read about Caleb, his brother. In Joshua chapter 14, we'll talk about Caleb. Here was a guy that was 85 years of age, and he is still ready to work, to go to, go to work for God. We need to have that same kind of attitude. But Joshua, his consecration rubbed off on others. And so tonight in closing, I want to encourage you to think about your example, think about your influence. And listen, if you're, if you're a mom or a dad and you're here and your children are here, thank you. Thank you for bringing your children, your grandchildren, because listen, if they're going to be successful in life, and I'm not talking about the material side, the professional side of life, although those are important. But what we want as parents and grandparents is for our children to be faithful to God. And we want to stand before God, and we want our family to stand before God, and we want everyone to hear the same words. Well done. Well done, faithful servant. So your influence is powerful. You have so much to offer. And so be a good example. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? I don't want it to become mechanical when we talk about God's plan of salvation. But every time we meet is an opportunity for somebody to obey the gospel. To understand that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. That we are to demonstrate an obedient faith like they did on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem. They were instructed to repent, be baptized so that they might enjoy the forgiveness of sins. And listen, that same promise opened to you today, 2,000 years later. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not what you ought to be as a child of God. Maybe for whatever reason, your life is in disarray. You want to be faithful to God. You've had trouble. You're not what you want to be. You're not where you want to be. And you need us to pray for you and with you. We would be more than happy. We would be honored to do that. And I assure you, Brother Billy, Brother Dio would be more than happy to lead prayer on your behalf tonight. And we'll pray for you that you will be the kind of Christian that God wants you to be.
If you're here tonight and you need to respond, please do so as we stand and sing.